0: Welcome to Episode 1 of a three-episode series podcast on Medicare Part B, hosted by Cindy Kraft. This three-episode series is produced by the National Association for Home Care and Hospice in conjunction with the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association Innovation Committee. Episode 1 discusses the differences between Medicare Part A and Medicare Part B in the home setting. Now, here's Cindy Kraft. Hello,
1: my name is Cindy Kraft, one of the owners at K&K Healthcare Solutions, here today to spend some time talking about Part B therapy in the home. Specifically in today's session, we're going to be looking at what is similar and what is different between Part A and Part B services when you bring them into the home health setting. Joining me today for this conversation is Sherry Teague, also an owner at K&K Healthcare Solutions. So Sherry, I want to ask you the first question, because we're going to do this kind of in a common question format, as it were, when it comes to this issue. First of all, can you really do Part B therapy in the home? I mean, whenever I think of Part B therapy, I always think of brick and mortar facilities, clinics, departments and hospitals. So is it really in the
0: regulation that you can do this stuff in the home? Yes, you can, Cindy. Um, In fact, um, as a Part A provider, Medicare certified home health agencies are able to bill for Part B services under their license and all they have to do basically is to indicate the location on their billing of where the service is being provided. Also other Part B providers such as physicians, um, physical therapists in the community, they can also provide Part B services in the home. There is a locator on the UBO4 where you would say that that is occurring in the home versus in your clinic or in your home health agency. Well
1: I find it interesting and I kind of teed you up a little bit with that Sherry because obviously we wouldn't be here having any sort of podcast if you couldn't do it in the But when you look at the regulation, I find it amusing almost that the first place listed in the regulation for Part B therapy of where you can do it is the home. And most people think of that as the last possible option, that it kind of evolved into this from the provider side, um, made more sense to be in a brick and mortar type situation because then patients are coming to you. You're not dealing with travel time. You're not dealing with those elements. Um, You're able to have multiple patients at the same time, all in this, this facility type setting. So it organically leans this way. But I think that we're starting to see a revisit of, wait a minute, I think we could take these things into the home.
0: And I think you're right, Cindy. I think that a lot of people kind of shy away from doing this in the home because with Part A, we're paid 100% via Medicare. With Part B, we're paid 80%. And then there's a coinsurance or a copay, if you will, for the the additional 20%. So if you're planning on doing it in the home, you have to set up a billing mechanism to where you can capture that. And um, that's the only way that would really make fiscal sense to do it but it is something that is available and it is something that patients love. I would agree. So I want to take a
1: few minutes here and talk a little bit about what is very similar in terms of looking at therapy, whether it is part A or part B. There are some fundamental issues that remain the same, and they have to do with words that, if anybody's listened to me present ever, um, come up an awful lot, which is the issue of skilled, reasonable, and necessary. What I found in my own personal experience with a home health agency when we stepped into the Part B space, and that was many years ago, I don't want to say how many, that what we found was the clinical issues were not different. It wasn't as though there were specifically different therapy techniques or interventions um, that distinguished Part A versus Part B or different skill levels um, with respect to the clinical care or different ways to do evaluations. Yes, there's different forms and different things to be completed, but whether it's A or B, we have to make sure that the therapy staff are very clear about the issue of skill as to why what we're doing absolutely required the skills of a therapist, especially when we start touching Part B, that we have to make sure this doesn't look like it's a convenience issue. Well, they want me to come to their home and there's this Part B therapy and I can just do that. No, I have to be able to defend that what I'm doing is skilled and absolutely requires the skill and expertise of a therapist. The services need to be reasonable. This needs to make sense with respect to the current condition of the patient, as well as does my amount uh, fit with acceptable standards of practice? And this is where, you know, some of the nuanced pieces of the fact that, as Sherry mentioned a moment ago, 100% is covered under A, not quite the same thing, um, fits in with respect to Part B. So then, well, maybe I do more under A and fewer under B. We have to make sure that our decisions are defensible from a reasonableness perspective. What does your patient need? And that's, Absolutely, tease up necessity. We have to be very clear that what the therapist is bringing to this situation is absolutely essential. That without the involvement of therapy, the outcome for this individual would not have been optimized. And By extension, I can't say the outcome without dealing with the fact that when we approach therapy, whether it's A or B in the home, we have to remember that there are two possible paths to take. The very familiar road we're very used to being on, which is a restorative approach to care that says my goal as a therapist is to get this patient better than they were when we started. So we see language in the regulations almost verbatim around this issue of a restorative approach to care, that the goal is to show demonstrable improvement from where we started. But what is also nearly verbatim in both sets of regulation is maintenance therapy. And I would say for all the work that Sherry and I and Dee have done for quite a while now to educate about maintenance therapy in the Part A space, Part B is struggling as well, with the understanding that we absolutely can and should be providing services to individuals where we do not expect to see significant improvement, but we know that without the skilled, necessary interventions of a therapist, decline can happen. And so our goal is to optimize their function, to stabilize their function, and to preserve it for as long as humanly possible. So those things are the same. And I wanted to just kind of put that little piece in there about maintenance, um, because that's not the focus of our podcast series, but it's definitely something that needs to be part of any discussion about looking at the provision of therapy in the home, whether it's A or B.
0: Cindy, what are some of the differences between Part A and Part B therapy in the home? Well, this is where we get into some of the
1: things that, you know, depending which side of the coin you're on, A or B can feel very familiar and yet very foreign on the other side. And that is for the Part A, we know homebound is absolutely a cornerstone issue, that we have to be able to speak to the fact, does this individual meet that core, that key qualifying criteria of being homebound. And we know that that is not home hostage or confined to bed. We know that it's about how frequently they leave, how taxing of an effort that that is. None of that applies under Part B. These individuals do not need to be in the home. As a matter of fact, one of the other settings listed in the regulation is that we can meet people to do this at their place of work. So we don't have that same constraint under B that we do under A, which which creates some opportunities when you say, you know, we've had an individual patient who does qualify, who is homebound, who needed therapy, and we provided that appropriately for a period of time under A, but now we're reaching the point where they're no longer homebound. We can't justify this because they're not, but they do still need therapy. Traditionally, we've assumed that that needs to be a handoff to a brick and mortar clinic to continue. But those of us who've worked in rural areas know that there's a challenge to that, the accessibility of a physical clinic. And then we're forced to the position of, we can't really just keep them on under A because they don't qualify. But where are we gonna send them for B? Should we look at our opportunities for B in the home? Documentation requirements, yes, we have all kinds of things going on. You've got OASIS data collection on the Part A side. You have MIPS reporting and those kinds of elements on the Part B side. Yes, we would be held to those expectations from a data reporting, data collection perspective. And probably the biggest differences have to do with billing. On the Part A side, we know that there aren't specific procedure codes for therapy. It's whether or not it was done by a PT, PTA, OT, OTA, or speech language pathologist. We do have specific codes to indicate if it was a maintenance approach to care, but that's it. I mean, it's really who did it and what was the focus of care is is the depth at which we get into those codes. On the Part B side is where we do get into treatment procedure codes. And as you know, that seems to be where as a clinician, yep, therapy is therapy, I know how to do it. Um, I'm trying to, you know, meet these needs of the patient. The billing can be a hard thing to pivot from if you've never been in the Part B space, because you're very used to just putting down your in and out time and not getting into things like the eight minute rule, which is why we're going to dedicate a whole specific podcast in this series to the billing element. Because that's the piece we want to make sure people have thought all those parts through and don't do, and I'm just going to be transparent, what my agency did, which was, yeah, we can do this, doesn't look that hard, went out and started providing this care, and then it totally gummed up in billing. Our billers didn't know what to do with it, couldn't figure it out, didn't bill it, and Sherry, I know, as the former person in charge of billing when you owned your own agency, how do you feel about the, yep, it was a great program, but we couldn't bill any of it for weeks because we couldn't figure out how.
0: I think that that's the biggest challenge, right? You have to you yeah. have to if you're going to go into the world of Part B, you really have to have a full understanding of how Part B is built and and how you would how you would go about setting up that system and that process in your agency. Um, with everything we've learned on the podcast and the fact that we can do Part B um, in, in the home and and everything that we've learned with the pandemic, obviously more people are enjoying getting medical services in the home. Can people just choose to have therapy in their home versus going outside for therapy? Is that something that the patient can actually um, seek or request to have? Well, this is where we run into some issues we
1: have to be very careful of. First of all, can a patient just decide they want therapy because they want it? Well, that's not even a part... A versus Part B issue. Um, we're still held to what I talked about a moment ago, the issue of skilled, reasonable, and necessary. If we're expecting a third party to pay for this service, I can't just provide it to be nice. I, I tell people all the time, we really have to think about, would we exercise individually more if somebody came to our home two and three times a week to basically watch us do this? Most likely because if anything else it would be oh have I been keeping up on this i know they're coming tomorrow but almost that i hate to use the word but the threat of the visit would motivate us okay that could be helpful but that doesn't necessarily mean it requires the skills of a therapist to provide that level of reinforcement that could be a personal trainer that could be a neighbor that could be a friend that could be a family member so we got to be careful with the patient just chooses so fundamentally they can't just, I want therapy. If they don't qualify under a third party payer, we can go a private pay option with them. We're seeing a lot of that growth um, in the therapy space as well, looking at, at at, at, at private pay. But when it comes to should I be in part A or part B, the beneficiary is not necessarily the most fluent in what the differences are in terms of what's covered. So some things to think about are when an individual requires the skills of a more comprehensive program. Say that they need nursing or they need an aid or they potentially need a social worker. That is not part of the Part B benefit. That that fits under part A. And if the patient's mobility is compromised to the point where they do meet homebound criteria, they may not understand that they would qualify under A and don't need to be directed immediately into Part B. I'm not saying Part B is a less quality of care. It's a different set of what is covered. So we have to be very clear. If the individual does qualify for A, they should be in A. If they qualify for B, they should be in B. Sometimes it really takes us as the provider, whether we provide both or not, to be aware of that so that the beneficiary ends up in the right program at the right time. Don't wanna see individuals put into A that really should not be. They don't meet the homebound criteria, but you know, they're nice and they keep getting orders from the doctor and they say they won't do the therapy anymore if we don't come. None of that meets the coverage criteria. Let's look at B option. Nor do we want people put into B that have more complicated medical issues, need the skills of a nurse, are in fact homebound, but are directed to be where now we're potentially using up copay issues and benefit amounts and all that other thing. So we have to make sure we understand they need to be in the right place at the right time, which I want to just touch on something, Sherry, because anytime we talk about what level of care should they be in, I think regardless of whether or not a home health agency has directly dabbled in providing Part B, they've encountered Part B in the ALF situation, or the independent living buildings, where there is a Part B outpatient in a part of that building. And, oh, we have therapy, and our patients need to go there. And then it can get a little muddy about, well, they're still seeing them, so you see them for A, and then give give them back to us, and then we'll give them back to Again, we have to make sure we understand what does this beneficiary truly qualify for? And there's quite a bit of regulatory language around Part B um, and Part A with respect to services in this type of setting. And we know it wasn't all that long ago that the setting going on the claim um, expanded to include the ability to identify under Part A if these individuals were in this type of facility, which leads you to believe that there is some sort of tracking going on from the part of CMS. So we wanna make sure that we are always putting the beneficiary in the correct level of care that they qualify for. But Sherry, it just struck me looking at this issue because yes, there's different parts of Part A and Part B, but the pandemic made me think about this. I'm, I'm hearing all the discussion on Part A about how telehealth
0: is not paid for. Mm-hmm. What about Part B? Well, there are some new opportunities in Part B and, and it's really kind of exciting for outpatient clinics and, and outpatient providers and, and outpatient being synonymous with Part B. You can do remote patient monitoring and telehealth under the Part B benefit. And it is paid. Um, there are certain things that you have to do as far as documentation. There's certain amounts of time that you have to use and there's certain ways that you have to connect with the patient, be it on video or audio, but you really need to look into some of those opportunities that have come up since the last fee schedule was was introduced to our industry know that there are some opportunities in Part B that are not in Part A as far as the remote access to patients. So that's pretty exciting. Cindy, if I wanted to add Part B therapy as a line of business in my agency, what are my options? What, how do I start? Well,
1: I think you need to choose what path makes the most sense for your organization, at least as a starting point. I mean, you can choose, take a path and then choose a different route later. You can choose to start one, to say, as Sherry said earlier, I can bill my Part B under my med, uh, Part A license, I want to start up my own and have it as a line of business within my home health agency. Clearly, if I'm going to do that, I want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row um, with respect to how our patients are going to be identified so we make sure they're in the right program. And it's also clean so nobody says, well, you just started that so you could just keep bouncing patients back and forth and keep them forever for not necessarily the best reasons. We want to make sure we're very clean about that and make sure we have the policies and procedures in place and all of that. But that's not our only option. If some of you are saying, oh gosh, really in the middle of everything going on, do I really want to start a whole new line of business? I think sometimes we forget that we can go into a contract relationship with a current Part B provider. Now I'm not talking about necessarily about contracting therapists. I'm talking about contracting with a provider because what we're finding is that the pandemic woke up a lot of brick and mortar outpatient therapy facilities to say, I'm going in the home. They spent the early part of the pandemic, couldn't see patients, couldn't go anywhere under quarantine, knowing that their patients needed to be seen, got that ability with respect to to telehealth, um, be able to do some of that, are going to be able to keep that now and recognizing that this is a whole opportunity for them to be able to take these services into the home. So there are folks out there that know how to do this and know how to do it well. So if I don't want to recreate the wheel, can I enter into an appropriate contract with them that says, okay, you'll be the B side, my preferred B side, I'll be your preferred A. And this is how we're going to collaborate for patients that qualify, that come to us maybe for a home health referral, but they really aren't appropriate, but need therapy Uh, under part B, I'll send them to you knowing that if you have folks that have greater complexities, need additional services, are homebound, you'll send them to us. Some folks are finding that that is a a bit easier path because now I'm not dealing with the billing and all this other stuff. I have someone else doing that. Um, But I think we're going to have to make some sort of decision, Sherry, about at a minimal, do we understand the differences? Are we making sure patients end up in the right program? Knowing that business is growing of not only clinics taking services into the home, but individual therapists starting their own business where they come into the home under Part B. So we're going to see more of this occurring. And the pandemic definitely pushed that forward. And I do think the telehealth is going to make it feel like B also has a little bit of an advantage in that space that A does not. So Mm -hmm. this conversation is, is far from over. Our goal today, some folks may say, we didn't answer all my questions, but we can't answer them all in one podcast. But we look forward to you joining us for future conversation in this series, where we're gonna spend some more time, as we said, on billing, and look at some of those structural things we need to have in place, um, or make sure that our partner would have in place um, should we pursue that route to start it. Thank you very much, Sherry, for joining me today. And I wish everyone a great rest of their week.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode in our three-part series. On behalf of NAC and HHFMA, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And for more information, check out nac.org at nahc.org.